This message by Sam Shen, entitled Stuck Together as Members, was recorded at Wellspring Church on September 22, 2019. The text for this message is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 17. Reading of God's Word comes from Hebrews chapter 13, and verses 7 through 17. This is the reading of God's Word. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food, which have their benefit, those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the, serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is, is brought into the holy places by the high priests as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledges his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. One of our members, Sung Pak, going to share his story, actually. Um, he shares uh, the story of being installed as a member of an OPC church. It's an Orthodox Presbyterian church. And they have quite a rigorous process. Ten weeks class. We used to have an 18-week class, if you can imagine. So, um, But after completion, on the day of their installation, they gathered together, the different members. And I think in his case, it was only himself. And he uh, gave an oath, signed a covenant. And then afterward, they have a lunch. He shares it's, it was just for himself. And the whole congregation gathers together to welcome him as a new member. And so while he's standing in line for food, one of the more serious stoic elders came beside him, took his suit jacket off, rolled up his sleeves, put his arm around him and said, with this smile sung, well, I guess you're stuck with us now. And uh, that comment sort of lightened the mood of commitment, but it was a reminder of the fact that now that they're members, they're together for better or for worse. It's the idea that membership is not a casual relationship, but it is a serious one. And after our leaders and our elders, we got together to talk about biblical community. And as we gathered together, Sung shared this story with us, and we really liked that phrase, stuck together, as what defines biblical community, what defines membership in a way. 
Because that idea, we believe, is not just simply a phrase, a sort of a, a nice saying, but it's in the Bible. It's who the church is when we consider biblical community. And so we're going to talk about membership with that idea in mind, being stuck together. Not just membership, but really the essence of gospel communities as well as we'll discuss next week. That is to say that in Christ Jesus, when we hear that prepositional phrase, in Christ, we are stuck to Christ and we are stuck to one another. There is almost an uneasy quality about that phrase, isn't it? Because you almost want to say, wait, are you really meaning that? Are we really stuck together? When we look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 17, we see actually that this is true. Members are stuck together. And this is very important to know that we really are stuck together. We're going to look at it first by looking at what it means to be stuck together in submission in verses 7 and 17. And then second, what it means to be stuck together in salvation and sanctification in verses 12 through 13. So first, stuck together in submission. We read verse 7, which says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Look at these commands that are given by the Hebrews writer, and they are commands. They're imperatives. Remember, obey, submit. These are commands that are given to whom? They're given to those who make a general commitment to the church. Um, for those who maybe come to church for a few weeks. Think of it this way. How would you feel if you were to ask, if you were asked to remember and the word remember means devoted to, committed to. So would you be devoted to someone that you meet every once in a while, you sort of know as an acquaintance, say a coworker, or a delivery person, the UPS driver who comes and drops off your packages throughout the week, or the clerk that you meet at the DMV? Is that someone you would remember, devote yourself, committed to? No, you wouldn't do that. And certainly you wouldn't submit and obey them. There has to be a, not just a relationship, but it has to be an ongoing, regular, constant idea of relationship. It can't be just mere attendance or just an encountering every once in a while. Many might think remember, obey, submit means attendance or a willingness to or to serve or to care or to give or to pray. And all of that has some level of commitment. But it is a conditional commitment. It's a commitment to, I am, maybe you're thinking, I'm 99% committed to this church. But just in case, maybe if I don't feel like it on a certain day, or maybe if someone lets me down, I need that 1% of an escape clause that allows me to know that I can get out if I need to. In a sense, church membership, membership being a part of a body and saying, I am fully committed in every way without escape, is a way of saying, I'm willing to remember, 
to obey and to submit. I'm willing to be stuck together. Think of a couple that's lived together for 10 years without marriage. So they're not married, but they live together. Why do you think they wouldn't get married? I mean, after all, they share everything together. They might share their finances together. They Maybe they share their toothpaste together. They share their bed together. They share their bodies together. Everything seems as though they are married, but they're not married. Why not get married? Because what they don't share is the covenant, the contract of marriage, the that idea that once you sign on the dotted line, you are together. And that couple, at the end of the day, they want that some level of control to say, I want to escape if I can. I want to get out of this if I can. Because I'm 99% bought in, but that 1% is actually not 1%. It's actually 50%, 75%. See, marriage is a contract. It's a covenant. That means you're bound not just to that person, but you're bound to God. And that's why the church sees so highly that contract, the necessity of it. The contract assumes remembering, obeying, submitting. And it doesn't allow for an escape clause. When we think we can escape, what we're really doing is we're keeping some sense of control for ourselves. I don't want to submit. I mean, think of it, that actually is the opposite of submission, isn't it? Submission is relinquishing control. And the opposite is to gain control, to do it yourself, to think, I need to know that ultimately, this is, everything is, it's all about me. So here's the big question. How do we stay stuck together in submission? How are we stuck together? And the first way we are stuck together in submission is we stay we stay stuck together. If I'm sure many of you have had a, a gotten a gym membership sometime in your life. I have, and, and my wife has, and so many of us have had gym membership. I'm not even going to take a poll. But how many of you have had a gym membership, but either rarely use it, use it once in a while, but mostly never use it? Who doesn't think, though, that getting a gym membership is a great idea? especially after the holidays. There's always a New Year's resolution. I'm going to go to the gym and utilize it to get into great shape every day. So you go out and sign up maybe for the Costco gym membership deal or whatever it might be. And you go for a few weeks, but slowly but surely, the commitment, the determination, it starts petering out. And suddenly, your dreams of becoming fit succumbs to ice cream and your comfortable sofa watching television. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but you should know this. Every gym in America whose roles are huge counts on the fact that you will not fulfill your commitment. That's how they make their money. They know that they can get as many people to sign up and most of the people won't ever go to the gym. If they all did, gyms would close down because there'd be too many people to use those that equipment. So they bank on the fact that you will be unfaithful to your commitment. So what keeps us from fulfilling this gym membership commitment? I thought of a few things. First, laziness. It's raining outside. I don't want to go. Right? I'm tired. Lack of priority. I'm too busy. 
Too many things going on in my life. Lack of belief. My wife goes to the gym, so she's going to work out for both of us. And this won't make any difference. I don't see any results after working out for five days. Where's my six-pack? It's not coming. Um, we think the trainers are liars and all the websites, they're all liars. It doesn't work. Or just the monotony. It's burdensome. It's boring. And when I think about those excuses, I just think there are so many parallels to church membership. As a people, perhaps we refuse to be a member of a church because there's a laziness aspect of it. Well, it takes the process is too long or I don't have, I just don't want to do it. Or maybe it's not a priority. It, it's important, but not important enough. There are so many other things that are in the way. Maybe it makes no difference. My wife is a member. I'm a member through her. I can go to every single meeting because she does it all and I get the benefits. She does the work. It makes no difference. Everybody looks the same. That person who's a church member, they, they look exactly like me. Why? What? I, they're no better than I am. It's boring. We have to attend meetings? Oh, that's so boring. All this, it seems like, well, yeah, that's a good argument. Why, why be a member then? Why? Because if you actually become a member, you recognize you're stuck together. And I'm just making the case of why you should not be a member. But you will see over time there are results. Just as a physical body that regularly exercises and helps the whole person feel good, in the same way, your mind, your spirit, in the idea of that covenantal commitment of being together over time, being part of Christ's body, you will see lasting, fruitful, joyous results. It's not going to be in a moment or a week or a month, maybe not even a year, but maybe it might be a decade or a couple of decades. But what you begin to see is that you're not alone. Especially when those seasons of difficulty do come, and they always come, they will. And you have others who care for you, not because of what you do for them. That's our culture, that's our world is, people will be nice to you as long as you're nice to them. People will care for you and serve you as long as you've done things for them. But what about a people who serve you, care for you, because they've covenanted to do so? Regardless of how they feel or how busy life is or whether you have been good to them. That's what it means to be in covenant together. It's not based on your feelings or on circumstances or on life stage. It's not based on your abilities or how much money you have. It's based on the contract. And while that contract doesn't seem so romantic, trust me, you want a contract when things are hard. That's... We know that from a legal perspective, and as we're building buildings and doing things like that, contracts are very helpful. God operates that way with us because He is a God who is a promise keeper. He is a contract keeper. He's a covenant keeper. And so, for those of us who are members, we have made a covenant to stay regardless of how we feel. We've made a contract to each other to say, a covenant to say that even when I'm tired or sick, when I don't feel like it, I'm still going to care for you. I'm not going to give up on you. We are loved by our Savior, and that's what drives us. That's what motivates us. That's what keeps us going when we don't feel like keeping on going. 
We're committed to stay for life and to bear burdens together, to not give up on each other, to help each other turn to God and to trust Him. And even if you were to lash out at me and vice versa, that we're still not going to give up. That's what it means to be a membership, a covenantal community together. We're not going to give up on you when it's hard, when you sin, when you break the rules. We're going to say, we still show you grace. We still show you love. We still show you mercy. We're going to remind you about Jesus even when you don't want to hear about Jesus. What makes staying so clear for me is verse 7. Consider the outcome of their, meaning the leader's, way of life and imitate their faith. That is to say that members stay long enough to evaluate and imitate the faith of their leaders, their elders. And it takes a while to evaluate that. A person who's come for a month, maybe even a year, it takes, it's hard. It's hard to get a sense of a person until you're with them in relationship over time. And that can take years and decades. But if you see that person as just the perspective of age comes, and as you are living life, the longer you stay and the more you see, wow, that person, though they're, they're not perfect, And there are many character flaws and areas of sanctification, but I have seen over the test of time, over years, that they're still faithful. They still follow the Lord. There's still a humility in the midst of sometimes pride, but they're pursuing God. You don't see that unless you're staying. And you can't do this without staying long enough to see it come to fruition. So staying is an essential part of our submission to seeing what it means to be stuck together. Secondly, as we persevere through the ugliness of being stuck together, and being stuck together is, can be very ugly. If, have you ever gotten crazy glue stuck on your fingers? If you put on enough, and you try to rip your fingers apart, the skin will tear, and it gets pretty ugly. It's, it's bad. And... Uh, there's a, a, a tremendous mess, but there's also an incredible benefit about having crazy glue. One time I was doing the dishes and I was washing a glass cup. And as I was washing it, it just shattered in my hand. I had a deep cut on my finger, went to urgent care, and the doctor there took this adhesive and started putting it on my on this uh, deep wound. And I said, what is that material? And he said, you know, crazy glue? It's the same thing, essentially. I was thinking, wait a second, I could have done this at home. And he said, yeah, you could have. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that very thing, when you're stuck together, it can be damaging and it's ugly when you rip it apart, but it's the very thing that holds, that can actually be a great bond. And if you look at verse 17 again, you sort of see this idea from the Hebrew writer's perspective of what it means to see the ugliness of being stuck together, but the beauty of it as well. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. When I read that passage, there's a few things, you almost have to see it from the other side, that For the leaders, the elders of the church who are overseeing that church, the writer's saying, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. And the reason he's saying that is probably because 
There were times where in leaving God's people, there isn't much joy and there's a temptation to groan. And we go, oh, it's so hard. And his point is that actually if they are joyless and always groaning, it actually hurts the church. It hurts the membership. Because it is hard to be together. We're not here saying, well, church membership, if you're a member of the church, when we're together, it's always happy. That's not the case. Sometimes difficulties arise, challenges, sin occurs amongst everyone, every member, every elder. We all are sinners in need of grace, in need of Christ. And so the exhortation is do this, let them do this with joy and not with groaning because it's actually very easy to have joylessness and to have groaning, especially on this side of heaven. But to be stuck together in the church is to realize that there will be mess, there will be ugliness. I want to tell you that time and time again because I do think that far too many people come into the church thinking that it's supposed to be a place where there's no mess, there's no ugliness, especially when you're dealing with Christians. But actually, if you understand the gospel, you know this is the reality of the church of God's people is that there is mess, there is ugliness because we we really more than anyone else see our own sin. We're not surprised by it. We go into our commitment, our covenant together saying, I know that those who lead the church and those who are in membership with me, we are going to fail each other. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to let each other down. But I also know that you know that you need Jesus, and that's why we're together. I mean, if we see ugliness in our closest relationships, in marriage, in parenting, in relationships among siblings, again, how should we, why should we be surprised when it crops up in the close relationship of the church? Why should we be surprised when we actually recognize that we need Jesus together? Jonathan Lehman with Nine Marks, he's written a lot about church membership. Really like the way he sums it up. He says this, truth be told, people are not afraid to submit. They just want to submit to beauty, like the valiant hero who submits himself to rescuing the damsel in distress. What's unexpected about Christianity is that its hero doesn't risk all for a damsel, but for what the Bible likens to a harlot. Then he calls everyone that he saves to submit themselves to the same harlot, the bride still being made ready, the church. Now, submitting to ugliness does scare people. And that's what submitting to the local church can be. Churches are filled with other sinners whose visions of glory contradict our own. But this is how Christ loves us. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Christ's love wonderfully transforms the ugly into the beautiful. Our love for one another should do the same thing. Help the ugly become beautiful. Why are we church members? Why are we stuck together? And I agree, Jonathan Lehman is exactly right. We are here to help the ugly become beautiful. The church is a place where sinners come together who are saved by Christ, who recognize that, and by our relationship in our brokenness, we learn patience. 
We learn faith. We learn grace. We learn mercy. We learn kindness. We learn service. We learn gratitude. All of that comes with difficulty. And the way we learn every one of those traits, Christian virtues, is by dealing with sinners. It actually isn't by dealing with people who don't have sin. It's by dealing with people who are just like us. That's how we help the ugly become beautiful. So we are stuck together in submission, but we're also stuck together in salvation and sanctification. And that's how the Hebrews writer sort of lays this out for us. I'm not going to read all of it, but much of what's in between verse 7 and verse 17 is this idea. And I'm going to focus in particular on verses 12 and 13. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Jesus suffered. Look at what the writer says. Jesus suffered outside the gate, was cast as an outcast, which is what it means to be outside the gate, to bear the just the wretchedness of Hades. Um, the, the trash, Gehenna, that was out there outside the walls of Jerusalem in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus suffered in order to sanctify the people. In other words, he didn't just die to save us from sin, which is one thing he did, but he suffered to sanctify, to cleanse, to bring us to completion, to perfect us, not an individual, but people. And people together. It's not he died to sanctify Sam. No, he died to sanctify his people. He needs and he utilizes as a means of sanctification every single person together to actually bring us to completion. That is to say that you can't just be at outside and say, well, I'm not going to commit because if I do, then I, ha- then I really have to be involved into the lives of people. Then you're really keeping yourself from one of the most important means, the primary means of God calling us to himself, which is the covenantal commitment of his people, the the sense that we're together in this. And he did this so that the ugly becomes beautiful. The church becomes beautiful. And when you think about the best fairy tales and stories of our world and literature, We're so enamored by the rags-to-riches stories, aren't we? Sort of the ugly duckling becomes beautiful. The the smallest guy on the the football team or the basketball team uh, or someone who just really can't play at all and then suddenly they become the hero. Why is it that we love underdogs so much, especially when they overcome insurmountable odds? Because beauty is most seen when it's found in the trash. That's when beauty is just shines forth to all the world. And we become shocked by that beauty. Beauty shines in those instances. That's what the cross is. The cross, and one of the things that we want to do for this new building is we want to design a cross. I want that cross to be as ugly as it possibly can be. It's something that we're working on. How do we make this cross to be something that when you walk in, there's a, you're almost a little disturbed by it? I don't want it to be something where it's this nice polished cross. and I don't think that's what the cross is. But there is something about 
the disturbing ugliness that we see in the cross is what makes it so beautiful, spectacularly beautiful. It is our world. It is our Savior. Our Savior is God on a cross. Talk about the greatest eternal oxymoron. God on a cross. And that's what we are. We are an oxymoron. How do you get people who are broken, who are self-centered, who are weak, who are regularly pursuing our own goals and visions? How do we get that group of people to come together and to shine? It's not going to be by trying really hard or trying to find the right personalities to click, find the right program to make it all work. It's going to be, we have to have a much bigger picture of the beauty of Christ. And that's found in the midst of our mess and our ugliness. We actually need to be recognizing that that is part of our life together. Do not then be surprised when it is hard to be in relationship. It should be hard. It must be hard because we have sinners coming together and the more you relinquish your heart and reveal that which is most ugly and messy and dirty, the more, and then the more you say, but Christ gave himself for me, for you. That's when you show grace to other people. Kindness. That's why Jesus had to suffer outside the, outside the gate. He had to be forsaken by his beloved father because we should have been the ones forsaken by the father. Our ugliness, our mess, our rebellion, our idolatry, our self-centeredness, our self-worship, it had to be punished. And Jesus took the punishment on our behalf. And so when we together, when all of our envy and petty jealousies and rivalries and favoritism and selfishness and gracelessness and anger and unforgiveness, when that breaks out amongst us, those who are contractually That's why the contract matters so much because jealousy happens, rivalry happens, favoritism happens, selfishness happens, gracelessness happens, anger happens, unforgiveness. And for those who have not contracted, it's just easy to say, oh, forget that. That is disgusting. I don't want any part of that. But what keeps us together when that happens? The contract. Just like God signed the contract with us through his own son's blood and said, despite what you look like, I refuse to give up on you. So too we, reflecting that reality as church members, say, I refuse to give up on you. I have, I am following my father's lead and regardless of what it looks like, I'm not letting you go. Church members do that. If you're not a member You won't really want to do that. Verse 16 tells us what happens when grace just floods out from that place. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You remember your leaders and obey and submit to them, and that brings joy to you. And from there you serve, and the writer says, that if you do this, according to verse 17, it will be an advantage to your soul. Because when when our leadership, when we serve out of delight and joy over you, 
that just unleashes more joy. And it's not because you're giving gifts or donating to the church building or serving. It's because we see a love for Christ. And that love for Christ, it's just constantly building. There's a momentum behind it. Joy is not possible apart from Christ. Not really. But in Christ, there is an insurmountable joy. So, I hope you understand. I want to urge you, be a church member. If you've been a regular attender for a while, you need to really decide, is this the church for you? For your own soul's sake, do not just simply stay on the periphery. And if it's not Wellspring, then find a church that you want and must be a church member of, that you want to serve. Because it's actually very critical for your own soul. I say this for you. I'm not saying to try to get rid of people. But I'm saying you need to be at a place where you're recognizing this is so important for you. To be in a place where you are not a member of a church is soul sapping. Whether you realize it or not, it's a dangerous place. Again, to think of, and also for those of you who whose spouse is a member and you're a Christian, and you're just saying, well, I don't really want to make a commitment because my wife is a member, my husband is a member, and I'll just go and tag along with them. Again, that's no different than your wife working out, you sitting at home and saying, oh, I'm getting good exercise because my wife is going to the gym all the time. That makes no sense. It, not biblically speaking, not even physically speaking. Or if you're 95% committed and you feel like you don't need, you, you're all the way in. You're pretty much, you love the church. Everything's going great. Come on, it's just a, it's just a formality, 5%. What's the big deal? I say this. You can't be 95% married. Once you say, I do, and there's a little license that you sign legally, and then before the Lord say, I do, you're not saying, I'm almost, come on, I, I'm pretty much in with you. Come, it's, you get it. I don't have to sign that piece of paper. The reason we do that is because we don't want to give that, we don't want to say, I'm stuck. We're stuck together. But the covenant is what keeps us together. It is that idea. So I know for some of you hearing this message, you're probably thinking, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't like that. Maybe you're thinking, I, uh, I don't know if this church is for me. Or maybe you're thinking, I hope you're thinking, I need to really process this. I can't just stay where I'm at. I don't think the gospel allows you to do that, just to simply stay. It's dangerous for your soul. I hope you recognize that, that we are stuck together as church members, as Wellspring members, to make disciples of Jesus through the gospel. If that's something that you say, I give my, I believe that, I want to be a part of that, we invite you to join us. So please talk to myself or to Thomas, who's another elder who's also overseeing membership. We love to point you to what it means to be a Wellspring church member. Let's pray together. Father, we, I just really pray that uh, this message of what it means to be covenantally together would actually be more than just simply a uh, call to church membership as a formality, but rather it's the recognition that Jesus sanctifies his people. 
based on a, a relationship that we have agreed to together, this local church body, and that through it, that we are committing to one another to follow you and to love you and to love one another, especially when it's hard, especially when people aren't so kind, when sin abounds. But we know that where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So draw us near to one another. Help us to see that we are in this together. We are stuck together. And that is good news. Because this world has so many lonely people who have made almost commitments. And because of that, there's such a deep loneliness. I pray, Father, that we, as church members, as Wellspring members, we would know what it means to serve one another, to tell one another that we are together. And what better way to show our union both with you and with one another than communion that points us to the gospel of your Son. And thank you for this wonderful symbol of our greatest hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.